everyone, and welcome to the third episode of Okay, Now What? This week you have Thomas, Robin, Jason, and me, Greg. Um, so let's go ahead and get started. So I'm pretty sure y'all have heard about Marjorie Taylor Greene, the QAnon uh, Republican congresswoman who has said death to Nancy Pelosi, who thinks um, wildfires here in California are made by Jewish space lasers, obviously. Um, and Parkland was fake and mass shootings don't exist. Um, and she so happened to be on the education committee, but today the house voted to strip her from her community titles. Maybe she can, um, create some loony Ben committee herself. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, Robin, go ahead and give me your take on this whole Marjorie Taylor nonsense. I mean, I think it's sort of, she got what she, you know, sort of earned, like, still like as a member of congress you're mm -hmm. scouting QAnon theories you're saying these like horrible horrible things you i don't know if she made a statement condemning the capital riots but like you she got what she was putting out there and i think she should be fully expelled from congress she shouldn't have a seat mm -hmm. it's sort of like crazy to me that someone who believes that space lasers are causing California wildfires <laughs> and that actively said like the San Sandy Hook shootings were a hoax it was mm -hmm. just like these really awful things like how how are you still a representative mm -hmm. yeah. you know there there should be some sort of decency qualification to congress where if hey if you you're an active conspiracy nut you shouldn't hold the elected seat of power and yeah. denying the sandy hook shootings and trying to be on the education committee like it's she got what she deserves yeah. like you know yay finally but <laughs> she's just excuse my french but batshit like she's actually like batshit mm -hmm. insane but yeah. yeah uh jason do you think she should have been removed from congress well yeah um i i would go further i i i I'm with Cori Bush on HR 25 that, that not only should somebody like Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, and the 146 other members of mm -hmm. Congress um, not have any position of power within, con within Congress, but, but all, honestly, they should be, um, they should all be removed from Congress for sedition. Um, you know, it, it's, we find, we find ourselves in Congress right now negotiating with you know, domestic terrorists. It's it, yeah. it is it is ridiculous to me. Um, but I also want to I want to put out a thing right here because um, uh, I I want to move away. This is an opportunity. A situation like Marjorie Taylor Greene is an opportunity to start using some different language uh, in our in our dialogue. So I don't want to call her moronic or stupid or idiotic. Um, I, I am coming to learn that those are ableist terms. They are f offensive. And I don't want to associate people with legitimate mental health illnesses who need support with people like Marjorie Taylor Greene. So I'm going to move to using terms like ignorant, asinine, uh, uh, irresponsible, um, and offensive. And that's what uh, she is. And that's what people like Lauren Boebert are, uh, and Ted Cruz, and Louis Gomer, and all of the other members of Congress uh, that really tried to start a second civil war in this country. And honestly, I cannot, I cannot believe that we're still here having to listen, listen to their bullshit. Yeah. 
Yeah, Thomas. So a lot of people say that this is now the Republican Party or there's going to be a third party come out and it's going to be the Trump Party. Do you think that that's the case with Marjorie Taylor Greene? I think so. Um, I mean, you go back to the Obama years and you had uh, you had the Tea Party sort of come out of the Republican Party and it just shows uh, there's there's a major divide right now. And I think coming out of the Trump loss, you're going to see the fracture in the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is uh, this this was inevitably going to happen. I think uh, if you have both parties for years, like label immigrants as a problem, um, sort of buy into these hate factors, um, buy into this sort of narrative that um, it's not America's problem, it's other people that are causing all mm-hmm. these problems. Um, it creates the groundwork for these conspiracy theories and these sort of hateful mindsets. And I think um, this this is just inevitable. I, I want to also bring up that another uh, thing that happened with Taylor Green, which is that um, she was sued in federal court um, this week for oh. uh, block, blocking people on Twitter. Uh, for oh. people, so people were criticizing <clears throat> her for, for everything that was going on, and she blocked a lot of people on Twitter. And then within 48 hours, she um unblocked everybody because she realized she was going to lose the uh lose the uh, uh the uh the federal court. Um, <laughs> and that is and so. that is uh something that's nice about being a candidate versus an actual elected official. Mm-hmm. Uh right now I can block a bunch of people <laughs> if I don't want to hear their nonsense. And I have done so. I don't I don't they're just uh, so easy to ignore though. I mean I, I don't tangle block with anything. the the where we go one where we go all folks. So mm-hmm. I'll I'll block you. But you know, you know once yeah. I have an official I gotta I gotta listen to everybody. That's yeah. true. Now let's go ahead and move on to um, another person. Robin, you mentioned that you uh, you saw something on your timeline. Go ahead and mention that to us. For sure. So there, I saw on this article where the Colorado representative, Lauren Bobert, she had $20,000 in a lien against her restaurant. And she, you know, she paid it off. But at the same time, she got reimbursed from her campaign for $22,000 for um, mileage, meaning that she drove like 38,000 miles despite (laughs) having no advertised events in the spring. So that's kind of like, you know, suspect. (laughs) The ethics committee is like looking into it, but it's just, you know, at least cover up your tracks a little better. But I know. Like obviously, well, it's bad not to make a joke of it, but like, come on now. You, you know, you know, her restaurants were responsible for almost a hundred people getting food poisoning at an event because uh, she served pulled pork that had no temperature controls, had no you know cool down procedures or anything. Now, I've worked in the restaurant industry. I've handled food. I know you have to very strictly regulate. Uh, heating up, cooling down, storage, and and, and everything of food products, but That's she didn't nasty. do that. She was she. I well, I mean, it's 
it seems like it w- it's inevitable for somebody like her who doesn't want any regulation on anything. Mm. And the, for the people who support her, uh, that's almost a classic, here's your karma, because this is the person that you want to support. You're going to go eat at a restaurant, no regulations. You're going to get sick, maybe you die. And, and like I'm Gordon not gonna, in there. <laughs> well, I don't think he would want anything to do with her, but I'm not <laughs> going to go into graphic detail on what the illness was that they got, but it was extremely messy. <laughs> Nasty, both ends, I bet. She was um, also, the state also had to shut her restaurant down because she was still like off operating like pre-COVID times oh during the pandemic. And she was warned like no, several no. times and she just didn't listen. So then, you know, they had to shut her down for a bit. Wow. Yeah. Oh gosh, those are our representatives. Okay, well, let's move on to something else. Uh, thank you so much, Robin, for sharing that story. I love that. Um, so $1,400 stimulus check updates today. Congress passes budget resolution eligibility. Who will get it? Now, there is some controversy because it doesn't uh, provide aid to uh, un- undocumented uh, people. And so, yeah, so um, Kamala Harris is required to break the Senate deadlock. So 51 to 50. Um, the Senate voted in favor of non-binding amendment to tighten um, a stimulus check eligibility. Um, earlier this week, group of 10 Republican lawmakers had proposed a $600, uh, $600 billion COVID relief bill with only 1,000 1, stimulus dollar stimulus checks. Luckily, that didn't happen. Um, so... Starting with you, Thomas, what do you think of all this? I mean, if you're going to use reconciliation for something, mm-hmm. it needs to be better than, than what's been passed. Um, you could have done $2,000 every month with reconciliation. Yeah. Could have done that. Um, I also think the, 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 the lack of survival checks for, for, for undocumented people is absolutely horrific. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, this, I mean, it already happened last April with the first big stimulus package. They didn't do it then. And I just want to break down really, you know, nearly, uh, more than half of our, um, agricultural farmer sector is undocumented people. Mm-hmm. So these people who feed America, who farm uh, for the produce that we eat, for the food that we put on our plate, um, mm-hmm. these they're undocumented, nearly more than half of these people. I just want to break down the statistics here. That an average farm worker family's annual income is between $17,000 and $20,000, right? Wow. Right? Mm -hmm. More than half rely on at least one public assistance program. And half of all, uh, and basically, like, the the pandemic has just made these people, um, it's just caused so many problems for them. Um, Even at a time where they're deemed essential and yet they're still not going to receive a survival check. And I, I just <sighs> find it disgusting. And I just want to point out eight Democrats voted to not give undocumented 
immigrants. And let's name them. You have the names. You got the names. Yeah. You got the receipts. Let's hear it. Yeah. Let's get this up. I bet you one of them was Joe Manchin. <laughs> yes. So we had uh, Hassan um, from uh, New Hampshire. We had Hinkenlooper from Colorado. We had Kelly from Arizona. We had Manchin. Um, we had Peters. We had uh, Cinema, if I pronounce that right. Kristen Cinema, Arizona. Oh, Cinema. Um, uh, Stabenow and Tester. They're all yeah. the Democrats. So, yeah, um, you hear that? Um, those well, Republicans did that, okay? I'm calling yes. them Republicans. Cinema, Cinema and Manchin are the, are, I think, are the two votes that everybody has been worried about with everything, you know, when, are we going to get mm -hmm. anything past the Senate um, if we have these two particular Democrats who uh, ostensibly are going to stand in the way of everything because they are Democrats mm -hmm. in name only. Um, so it's unsurprising, but, uh, you know, as, as we were talking before, I wanted to point out that you've got Mark Kelly uh, and John Hickelooper there. Those are two Democrats, the unseated mm -hmm. Republicans, uh, and and here they are voting, you know, what I would say is against Democratic uh, Party values. Yeah. Um, and what's happening here is that, you know, I just want to refer back to um, earlier in the COVID crisis here in Washington State, where our farm workers uh, were completely left out of COVID protections with PPE, where, where there was a mandate in our state for all employers to be providing protections. Um, and uh, in Yakima County, where um, a lot of our agriculture is in the state, uh, the rates of COVID were three, four times higher than, than in other counties, and it was yeah. farm workers, and they had to go on strike to demand their rights. And so seeing that these undocumented immigrants, uh, these these hard laborers that, that do supply the food for our tables, uh, mm -hmm. just get left out of this legislation as a, as just as a matter of course, um is uh it's it's really abominable and we've got to do better yeah, yeah. robin yeah. what do you think <clears throat> i really think that you know it's just disappointing especially mm -hmm. to those dems at that point if you're if you truly don't believe in supporting our most vulnerable our most people like thomas said who aren't earning a lot of money but they're still paying most of them do still pay taxes and they're still like contributing yeah. to our economy they're the reason that we are able to eat at this point and it's just it's just disheartening like it's like I don't bite the hand that feeds you yeah literally yes yeah. exactly I, I just want to point out about joe manchin because the the dscc put millions of dollars into joe manchin's pocket to protect him from paula jean in the primary right so the dscc protected joe manchin and this is the guy who's going to mm -hmm. completely override every single decision apparently going forward so i mean there's no excuse like for this, like you put you you put millions of dollars to protect this man, yeah. Yet now he's suddenly going to decide. You know what? I'm going to be the vote that kills every single bill going out. Yeah, it's crazy. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to something 
also not that great. <laughs> um, so there's new claims of migrant abuse as ICE defies Biden to continue deportations. The U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement uh, has been denounced as a rogue agency after new allegations of assaults on asylum seekers emerged and deportations of African and Caribbean migrants continued in defiance of the Biden administration's orders. Now, Joe Biden had unveiled his immigration agenda on Tuesday and his Homeland Security Secretary, Alejandro uh, Miracos, I want to um, say that's how you pronounce his last name, <laughs> was confirmed by the Senate, but continued deportations su suggested the Biden White House still does not have full control of ICE, which faces multiple allegations of human rights abuses and allegations that it has disproportionately targeted Black migrants. Also, they literally took out uteruses out of women. Yeah. Yeah. The, the fact that we, we still have ICE is pissed. Just, oh, someone take over. <laughs> Jason, go. Well, I, I really only have two words to say, and that's abolish ice. Yeah, know? simple. There you go. Yeah. But uh, I, I will say I wanted to, to bring up um, – so it doesn't make sense to me that, that the president can't have control of his own, you know, own department in this way. Uh, that, exactly. That, that just is not that – is, that is really not gelling for me. I don't – I just literally don't understand how that can uh -huh. be possible. Mm -hmm. um, and, and if that's the case, I mean – yank Alejandro and, and put somebody else in, in charge who is going to do what your directive is uh, as president. So that's step one. Uh, but the other thing I wanted to say is you local uh, areas can have control over ICE. So, um, you know, I tweeted not long ago that Cowlitz County here in Washington uh, is going, has, has notified ICE that they are going to end their contracts mm -hmm. to house ICE prisoners. Um, but reading deeper into the article that I posted, um, it is actually something that we we believe is going to pass the state legislature. We are a democratically controlled legislature. And so um, I, it, it looks to me, and I haven't gotten the bill number yet, um, uh, but it looks to me like Washington State may ban ICE from operating wow. in, in the state. Um, and that's fantastic because in Tacoma, we have an ICE detention center that has been rife with human rights abuses. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I'm very excited at the prospect of, of Washington state shutting ice down, at least in this state. You know, all I can do is encourage people to get their own states to follow suit. Yeah, Robin, what do you think? I agree with Jason, abolish ice, man. If it's an agency <laughs> that's literally defying the orders of the person who, of the commander in chief, like, what's the point of keeping it around mm -hmm. like I'm pretty sure I don't want to I don't want to you know speak for people but I'm pretty sure there were like FBI agents or like super oh. service agents who disagreed with presidents in the past maybe our very recent ex-president but they still protected him they still did their jobs they listened to their orders if you're joining a law enforcement agency you don't get the choice to pick and choose your orders you have to follow the law and essentially yeah. I know executive order isn't law but mm -hmm. that's your commander-in-chief like mm -hmm. listen yeah there were they were probably 
FBI agents who and like ICE agents or even DHS agents who didn't care for some of the previous policies, but they still had to enforce it. They still had to listen. They still can't disagree and refuse orders in the public, which is what yeah. ICE is doing. So mm-hmm. if they're not listening, either fire every single agent who's not listening and then move on from there or abolish an agency that has no point that's prior to its existence those duties were carried out by a previous agency like i don't understand the formation of a whole new agency just to carry out like a very specific duty that a previous Mm -hmm. agency was already doing yeah exactly thomas um go ahead and close the segment up for us what do you think i mean they're a rogue agency i mean yeah like i mean it needs to be abolished. I mean, my my point is, I mean, it, a lot of people I see online are trying to deflect from Biden saying it was a Trump judge that that halted or at least uh, made it so that they couldn't they could they were able to just keep following through with deportations. But my 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 beef is that Biden has the power to fire the director. He has the power to fire the deputy director. He has the power to fire eight assistant directors, and he can fire three executive associate directors. If these people are not following the rules mm-hmm. set out by the highest office in this, in this fire country, them, fire them, fire them, and abolish it. Like, and, and every day that Biden chooses not to do this, not it's only complicit. is he making himself he's making himself look weak, and he's also complicit. Yeah. And I think the problem. I think this is the biggest problem with the Biden, um, the Biden platform was that he was pushed to even do the bare minimum of doing a hundred day moratorium um, on deportations. Yeah, right? we, I remember we saw the videos from the guy, um, the immigrant activist, and I don't know if you remember during the primary where he was asked, like, "Will you commit to?" Um, uh, zero deportations on day one. Was this was this and the then, go vote for somebody else? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, then, and then Biden else. goes, "Go vote for Trump." Then yeah. that was his response. Mm-hmm. And so we know we know that he's really not wanting he... to do this like at all, mm-hmm. right? Um, but uh, every day he chooses not to act on this, he's making ICE just seem like it can just override every single, um, you know, as if it's just its own agency as if yeah. it just has no accountability and exactly. it's wrong all right everyone let's go ahead and welcome congressional candidate maybe a girl hello, hello. love the mask thank you <laughs> well thank you so okay. much for joining us on okay now what um we'll all go around and ask you something but go ahead and Tell us who you are. Um, talk about your campaign, girl. Go ahead. Yes. Hey, everybody. Uh, my name is Maybe, and um, I am running for Congress um, in 2022. This is my second campaign. Uh, I ran for Congress in 2020 uh, here in California, District 28, uh, which is West Hollywood, Hollywood, Silver Lake, Echo Park, the Hollywood Hills, Burbank, Glendale, 
um, Sunland Tahunga, La Crescenta. So pretty much all the way up to the, the LA forest. Um, so it's a really big district and um, mm -hmm. I'm super excited to be running for a second time. Um, we are running on a totally progressive platform. Um, you know, we believe in Medicare for all, for a Green New Deal, for abolishing ICE. Um, we're about as progressive as it gets. And uh, we are running against um, a Democrat, um, a very moderate centrist Democrat who has been in office for more than 20 years at this point. His name is Adam Schiff. Uh, he has recently been quite popular because of his anti-Trump rhetoric. Uh, but we decided to run against him because, again, I, like I said, he is a moderate, um, he's a centrist, and our beliefs are far to the left of his. Mm -hmm. So we're excited to be in the race again, and I have so much that I want to talk about. So <laughs> I, I'm curious to hear what your questions are, because um, I could go on for hours about why I want to run but I want to <laughs> and I thank you so much for having me today yeah I'm so glad you're here um Robin go ahead and uh if you have any questions for maybe for sure so first of all I looked through your when I heard that you were going to be our guest this week I looked through your campaign website you know sort of looked you on all the socials and a little bit about me I'm sort of in the sphere of like electing women helping to elect women and people minorities to office and I'm a little bit of a nerd and a nut about that and like the challenges they face so like what are some of the challenge challenges that you've faced while campaigning how have you been combating like you know some of the ignorant rhetoric you may be getting and sort of like your plans on campaigning for a second time in 2022? What have you learned? What are you gonna do different? Um, and sort of in that sort of question space. Thank you so much, Robin. I really appreciate that question. And it's so nice to meet you. Um, so, you know, some of the, <clears throat> you know, I, I'm entering this campaign with the experience and the knowledge of our previous campaign, which is honestly invaluable. Now, when I entered my first campaign, which was, we announced our first campaign in, I think it was end of June, early July, 2019. When we entered this campaign, you know, we entered it knowing that we were gonna receive pushback just mm -hmm. because I am an unorthodox candidate. Um, I am not what you think of when you think of a politician or somebody who's in higher office, somebody who's in the U.S. House of Representatives. And that is one of the reasons why I'm exactly why I am running. Because if you think about what most people think about um, when they think about our politicians in the U.S. House of Representatives in the Senate, you think of old, white, wealthy, cis men. And the only category that I fit into there is white. Um, well, I'm getting a little bit older, but <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't quite fit into that category yet. And you know, I think we really have to change the idea of what we think about when we think of a politician, because our politicians are, they are literally our representatives. And how can you be, I mean, how can it really be representative when, again, most of these representatives are old, white, cis, wealthy men? That is not an mm -hmm. accurate reflection of what America is. That's not an accurate reflection of what our communities are like. In fact, it's far from it. You know, you do see that in our communities and our states and our country. 
But that is not what America is. You know, America is made up of so many different kinds of people and every different kind of person deserves to have representation in Congress. Now, you know, I, I'm running for many, many different reasons. But one of the reasons that I'm running is because in the nearly 250 year history of the United States of America, um, of the US House of Representatives and the Senate, there has not once ever been a trans representative. So how can trans people, how can people in the LGBTQIA community really trust that their government is looking out for them, that their mm -hmm. government is representing them when there's nobody like them in our government. Do you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. while I do believe that a lot of people in our government do have good intentions, unless we actually have people like ourselves in the government speaking on behalf of people like us, you know, it, we're just not going to get to the place that we need to be. So that's a big reason that I'm running. And so when I announced the first time, I knew we were going to get pushback because, because I'm a trans person, because I'm a drag queen. I knew that was going to happen. So, you know, and I knew that was going to happen because I've received that sort of criticism my entire life. For somebody mm -hmm. who's queer, most queer people have experienced that kind of, um, you know, criticism. You know, that's not something that suddenly comes about when you're an adult. That's something that you've experienced since you were a child, that you've probably mm -hmm. experienced before you were out. So one of the great things about queer people is you develop a, a strength, you develop a shield, and you are able to take in that sort of, that sort of hate. And although it's definitely not valid and we don't deserve it, it's something that you you come to expect. And that's something that I think is awful and something that I would like to see changed. So going into this, I knew we were gonna get that. And have we received that sort of hate? Absolutely. We received it in our first campaign. We've already received it in this campaign. And you know what? It is motivation to keep going and keep fighting for people like us. So, oh, yeah. you know, that's like a small gist of it. <laughs> <laughs> um. I wanted to go ahead because um, this has been talks and I just, I love talking. She's, she's such a fascinating woman, Marjorie Taylor Greene. I just like, how can you just blatantly believe in that stuff? What is your take on this woman? You know, my take on this woman is, you know, the whole thing scares me. The fact that, the fact that somebody like that could be elected mm -hmm. to represent, to be in the highest level of office, to be in the highest level of federal government, it's terrifying. And I think the most terrifying thing is not just her beliefs, but the fact that people voted for her because of her beliefs. And I think that really yeah. is a greater problem is it's not just the politicians, it's the people that put them into office. And that's really terrifying, the fact that people voted her in knowing that those are her beliefs. And that's what really scares me. And, you know, I, for one, am, am very happy that the House voted to remove her from her committee roles, thank goodness. Um, but again, it, it, it scares me that she was even elected in, in the mm -hmm. first place because her, her views and her point of view, I don't think is something that she's ever tried to hide. So, mm -hmm. you know, she has used her views to get elected and she has exploited, you know, this segment of America that is, you know, unfortunately 
not in favor of a lot of the rest of America. A lot of people like you and I, um, a lot of people of color, a lot of people who aren't, again, cis, white, wealthy, um, heteronormative people. Yeah. The whole thing is really terrifying. And um, I truly hope that she's a one-term candidate or a one-term congressperson. Yeah, I believe, I hope so too. Thomas, go ahead. Yeah, I was just to add to that conversation because say that people forget what Harvey Milk was yeah. assassinated by uh, a representative um, for his views and his life. So, you know, it's 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 really terrifying and yeah, she needs to be a one-term congressman. Mm-hmm. Um, but my my question, um, really, we before you came on, maybe we were talking um, about ICE um, and what's happening right now with ICE just refusing to acknowledge Biden's um, order on a hundred-day moratorium. And I wanted to ask uh, if you were elected, how what would you do to curtail the efforts of ICE in your you country? know? Um, If I was elected, I would be very vocal and outspoken as I am now about the necessity of abolishing ICE. Mm -hmm. um, That's an issue that's very important to me, especially as it pertains to this particular congressional district that I'm running in. The district that I live in and that I'm running in is more than 25% Latinx. You know, many of them are immigrants or immediate descendants of immigrants. And many of them are undocumented. And you know what? All of them deserve the same exact rights. I don't want to see anybody, you know, forcefully removed from my district, from my area, and deported. And you're seeing that happen every single day. You're seeing that happen with, you know, families are being destroyed and separated. And these are not criminals that we're talking about. These are not like violent criminals. You know, there's a lot of campaigns right now for specific individuals who are, um, you know, about to be deported, who have families here, who have lived here since, they've lived here for decades. And I just don't see I I don't understand the reason why it's such a necessity to, A, spend so much money on government resources to remove people who are literally a part of the community fabric here, not just in in Silver Lake or in L.A., but, you know, across America. You know, immigrants make America work. And that's why it really, I, I think it's just so despicable. Um, how so many people view immigrants. And and on top of that, just like the idea that America was built by immigrants, you know, the whole thing is all about immigrants. And to say, oh, well, these immigrants, you know, who came in and colonized America, well, they were okay. You know, those were some sort of heroes. But these immigrants (laughs) that we have now, they've got to go. Like, it just makes no sense whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And it's so you know, indicative of white supremacy and of colonialism and, you know, this trying to hold some sort of power. And, you know, I, I do think that a lot of people are wising up that America is is so much more than, than you know, rich white people. And for the longest time, that's, that's what it was portrayed to be. And we're starting to see that you know, I, I think that a lot of those people who benefited from that mm-hmm. are scared right now because they see that America is a lot more than that. And we are, you know, we want to speak up and we want to be a part of the society. We're done being second class citizens. You know, we want equality for all, you know, which yeah. I think is something worth fighting for. Yeah, yeah. I agree. 
Uh, Jason, go ahead. Well, the first thing I want to say is I'm so glad you're running again. Um, our our races, I'm, I'm running again, too, in Washington's 2nd District. And, and what we're running on, the platform that we're running on, uh, is, is, I would imagine, 99% parallel. Um, so... I learned a lot of things in my last race, and and obviously anybody who takes on this undertaking is going to learn a lot. Uh, I did want to pop in there that, that I am one cishet white male who stands for all of those things and to uplift all uh, communities. And and I am tired of, like, the most exciting person in Congress to me right now is Cori Bush. I mean, she is absolutely yes. on fire. Um, and, and not only do we need to uh, expel Marjorie Taylor Greene, we need to expel the other 146 seditionists that the Biden administration, the Democratic Party, is still negotiating with. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's almost like we are, we are a, in a hostage situation with these people uh, uh, in, in our government. But the thing I really wanted to ask you about your race and thinking about things that you have learned along the way, um, in, in terms of talking about your opponent, Adam Schiff, my understanding of him is, is, is he is um, sort of socially liberal, but when it comes to economic issues uh, and military issues, uh, much like the guy I'm challenging, he is very conservative, votes for all the war machine money. Um, have you changed any perspective or are you, are you gonna kind of go after him? How are you approaching him as an opponent in this race? Thank you so much for bringing that up, Jason. And also thank you for running and, and trying to fight the system that is in place. Um, that's such an important question. And, you know, when I first decided to run um, a few years ago, one of the reasons I decided to run was because um, there were no progressive candidates. And I thought that we needed a progressive candidate. I thought that we I think that it's okay to challenge people within your party. I think when you don't do that, it reinforces the status quo. When you reinforce the status quo, nothing happens. Um, when you challenge your party to do better and be better, that's when things happen. And that was one of the reasons I, I felt like I needed to challenge Adam Schiff. And the thing about Adam Schiff is that he is really mistaken as some sort of progressive hero but he is the most faux progressive that I know of because <laughs> you know it granted he is the thing is a lot of people think that he is progressive because he is pro-LGBTQIA um, he is for um, you know he says that he's for Medicare for all and he says that he's for the Green New Deal but I've never actually seen him tweet about these things or advocate for these things or, or or speak up on these things the only thing that i see adam schiff talk about on social media is is anti-trump rhetoric and that has been his key to popularity is is constantly talking down trump and you know what that's such an easy route because mm -hmm. who couldn't talk down trump so because mm -hmm. he's in, in such a position all he does is it's anti-trump this anti-trump that and and, you know, um, because of it, a lot of people like him, you know, he was one of the, he was, he was involved with the Mueller report. That was sort of one of his big things that sort of put him in the spotlight. And then he was in charge of the first impeachment. Where did that lead? Nowhere. Now he's, you know, <laughs> uh, in prominence again for the second impeachment. And again, I think because of this, a lot of people have not look deeper into what mm -hmm. he has voted for. Mm -hmm. Now, as a politician, 
I can say that you are only as good as your voting record. Your voting record is what defines you as a politician. And when you look at Adam Schiff's voting record, he is not progressive. What he has done is he has voted pro-military, pro-war for everything since the early 2000s. Actually, since about 1996, when he was um, elected to the California Senate. So ah. a lot of things that people don't know about him is that, you know, a lot of the pro-police, um, you know, pro-police actions and laws that were written in California in the late 1990s were actually written by Adam Schiff, introduced by him through the California Senate. And those are the things that, um, you know, uh, increased funding for police, you know, put in, in place programs that were putting juveniles in prison. You know, he wrote legislation that, that was putting people as young as 14 in prison. Ugh. And I think that's absolutely despicable. And a lot of people don't know about that because they think, oh, Adam Schiff, he's trying to get Trump out of office. Well, what else has he done? He has put kids in prison. He has voted for the Iraq war, the Afghanistan war. He voted uh, to support the Saudi invasion of Yemen. Uh, literally every military um, issue that has come across his desk, he's voted in favor of. Every single year when it's time to authorize the uh, uh, defense budget, he consistently votes for the defense budget, which is getting close to a trillion dollars a year, which is, it's more than seven times the next seven uh, countries' budget combined. We don't need a military budget this large. And every no, we don't. year he's voting to increase it. So, you know, I get I get so upset talking about him because, like, he's done <laughs> so many, so many slick and sly things under the radar that people need to know about. And this is all clearly stated in his voting record. Yeah. So one of the one of the things I would like to suggest uh, uh, for your campaign and for your website is if, if you go to my campaign website, callforcongress.com, there's a tab on there called Rick's Receipts. And basically we have broken <laughs> down all of his contributions from six different big sectors, uh, military industrial complex, banking industry, healthcare industry. And we've gone back again, this 20 year record of him coming. He came to Congress through um, the lobbying industry, the medical lobbying industry. And he's been a lobbyist and he's been a war hawk his whole, whole life. And people in my district have the same idea that he, because he says the word progressive and because he says the word in, environmentalist, that they're gonna take that at face value. But, but you, can't, you can't be progressive when you get 75% of your funding from corporate sources. And so to, to really comb through those FEC filings and say, this is who Adam Schiff has taken the money from and let's match up those votes with the money that he has taken really draws a clearer picture. Now, it didn't help me in my last race because, you know, like you said, everybody was so, you know, we've got to get Trump. And that's all the guy I um, am against uh, is uh, camp was campaigning on, you know, mm -hmm. help me defeat Trump. That was his only message. And I'm sad that, you know, I, in Washington has top two, just like California. I think we're actually the only two states that have top two. And my message to the district was, if you put this corporatist on the ballot next to an actual progressive, then we actually get to have some real policy dialogue. 
You put him up against this, you know, Republican who doesn't even have a chance of winning this seat. There's no, there's no dialogue. There's no substantive yeah. dialogue on policy anymore. And and so that's something that I think progressives, particularly here in Washington and California, need to communicate about the primary system in our states. Get two Democrats on the ballot next to each other, and let's have a real conversation. One hundred percent. I'm so glad you brought that up because that is really that's such a great point that a lot of voters don't understand because you know voting laws and the way that the voting structure works is so different state by state but oftentimes this conversation that we're having about voting is kind of on a national level you know we talk about it on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter but really it's different in every given state and that was also one of the reasons that uh, why I chose to run in 2020 was because I knew that if I advanced through the primary, it would be an ideal situation. It would be a moderate centrist Democrat versus a very progressive Democrat. And that's actually the most ideal situation for, in particular, a district like mine. My district votes, on average, at least 75% Democratic every election cycle. So what that mm -hmm. means is, you know, it, even if it is a Democrat and a Republican in the general election, virtually the Democrat you know, doesn't really have to do anything because the voters alone, just by party affiliation, are going to elect them in. And so that's why when I missed advancing uh, to the general election in 2020, Adam Schiff was probably able to take a nice deep breath because he knew that he didn't have to go up against any, anybody. He knew that he was going to win by default. Mm -hmm. Absolutely um, the case. Absolutely mm -hmm. the case. My the the guy I ran against didn't mention my name. He did not give my campaign any airtime. Oh. He never addressed the fact that there was a progressive running against him. He always talked about the inevitable Republican that he was going to face, uh, which which just allowed him to avoid any serious policy discussions whatsoever. Mm -hmm. You know, and and unfortunately, you know, there's name rec recognition. There's fundraising. There are things that you have to do as a candidate that, as a progressive, are much, much harder uh, within the system that, that, is, that exists. Um, and that's why, you know, people like us, we have to come back a second time now that we have more name recognition uh, and, and understand what campaigning is about mm -hmm. a lot more. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe thank you so much for coming on. Uh, shout out your social media and your website. Thank you so much, Greg. Um, I can be found um, all across the internet. <laughs> well, not too deep into the internet, but you can find <laughs> it on our website, maybeagirlforcongress.org. That's M-A-E-B-E-A-G-I-R-L for congress.org. You can find me on Instagram at maybeagirl. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at maybe underscore a underscore girl. Awesome. And please go volunteer for her. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. And that is this week's episode of OK Now What? Thank you for watching. Reminder, we upload on Saturdays on YouTube and IGTV and our Facebook. Our social media is down below. And if you're watching this on YouTube, give us a like and subscribe and ring that bell to know every time we post and give us a follow okay underscore now what 21 on ig and and twitter all right see y'all next week